Hi, I'm Tom Rhodes. I'm a songwriter and an artist. I live in Oakland, California. These are my thoughts. I want to share them with you. It's a podcast called Mental Hygiene. So sit back, relax. Let's go for a cleanup. Hi, thanks for tuning in. Uh, today, I'm here with a very special guest. Uh, this is my best good friend, Sean Lynch. Say hi, Sean Lynch. Hello. <laughs> and uh, I brought Sean in for a... Uh, he should be popping up from time to time on these, but I brought him in for this one because he has some uh, pretty good expertise in the tech field. And part of what I want to talk to about today is tech, and he also has some expertise in the music field, and music is another big part of what I want to talk about. And um, so away we go. Um, I call this podcast Innovation. What do it be? <laughs> because uh, I'm not really sure what innovation is, um, but I'm fairly sure what it isn't. And I feel like we're bombarded with things these days that most people consider innovative that I don't consider innovative at all. Um, and yeah, I think that we have a, a, a lot of frustration in our society because of incremental changes. We, we would like, we see big problems and we want to do big solutions to them, but we don't get big solutions. We get incremental changes. And I think a lot of that acceptance of incremental change, um, comes from a lack of understanding of real innovation and maybe labeling things as innovative or labeling people as geniuses who aren't really deserving of that title. And it sets our sights, our collective sights a little bit lower. Um, yeah. So when I first sent this over to Sean, uh, I had a bunch of examples on here that were um, tech-based I'm speaking of you like you're not here. Sean, you're right here. <laughs> Sorry. Um, they were tech-based, and we were talking about um, a company in particular uh, that you you said you don't really consider them innovative, and I was saying that I think maybe a lot of people do. Uh, Apple. Um, and um, I, th I, I found it interesting that you, you don't see Apple as an innovative company. I don't well, see I them... I think what it is is it, yeah. it's the... If you ask, uh, you know, 50 people, I'm sure 40 of them would say, you know, if you ask them what, name the most innovative tech company or mo name the most innovative company, I bet, you know, 40 out of 50 of them would say Apple. Right. But that's just this misconception of, you know, what innovative actually means and what Apple has done to actually innovate in its history. Yeah, um, yeah, completely agree. I, I think that I think that a lot of people see Apple as innovative because of past things, but I feel like they're no longer an innovative company. That they probably were um, at one point. Yeah, and that's that's why I wouldn't. If you asked me if, if Apple was innovative, I wouldn't say that they're innovative mm -hmm. because I'm so you know knee deep in the in the bed with Apple. I know how not innovative they are. Yeah. So some of the yeah some of the examples I throw out that I think uh, uh well let me let me start it off here like I, well, I mean I, what we're accomplishing right now is being done in no less than you know let's call it ten thousand dollars worth of Apple gear. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. I'm I'm completely wrapped right now in 
my I'm I'm in my office and I've got you know four monitors up, two Apple computers, three Apple laptops that are all you know I'm swathed in uh, Apple Tech. awesomeness. Yeah, but none of it is really something that's like innovative. It's it's amazing. It's cool. It's great. And you know there I'm sure there are plenty of Microsoft and PC people that are saying that they've got great stuff too. But you wanted to talk about innovation, so yeah, specifically, yeah. I, I think of when I think of the the Apple examples of innovation, I think of the iPod. I think that was a pretty innovative device. I, I see. I think of innovation as um, a, a sort of a paradigm shift. It, it's something where a new a, a solution to a problem comes up that's such an elegant solution that it's sort of undeniable. And Sometimes these problems are things that we see blatantly, see, see, you know, glaringly, I should say, and sometimes they aren't. And I think the iPod was it was it, it, now Apple probably wasn't the first person to make a mobile MP3 player, um, but their mobile MP3 player did an amazing job at holding a ton of music, being a sturdy device, and taking us out of the Discman <laughs> era, which was incredibly frustrating. Um, uh, you know, the Walkman to the Discman switch, I made that one in my life, you did too. And then uh, Discman to MP3 player was a real game changer. So if you, well, if you want to talk about innovation, um, specifically talking about that Walkman to Discman transition that we had, mm-hmm. and for those of you who don't know what we're talking about right now, <laughs> long, long time ago, um, there were these things called cassette tapes. And in order to listen to your music or your talk shows or... Books on tape, whatever you wanted to. That's what is. That's where the name came from. Books on tape, um, physical tape. Put the yeah. It was. It was the the. It was what is it? Four tracks per, something like that. What I don't know. We're getting too deep in the weeds there. Yeah. Anyway, cassette tapes. Uh, those made wave to CDs, compact discs, and compact discs were great as a rack mounted or you know something you put on your shelf at home and handled but, with like silk gloves. Yeah, because you didn't want to scratch them <laughs> and. The way CDs worked, uh, so well, I'll get to that one second, real quick. The the Walkman, you know, was just the mobile tape player. Now the Discman was Sony's. That was Sony's invention, right? That was Sony's trademark name. Well, the Discman was, but I don't know if they were the first person to put a mobile thing. But they probably were. But yeah, what they did was was they took the CD. They took the CD reader and made it small enough to be carried mobile. Um, So people carried it just like they carried their, you know, old tape players. Um, but that it's in and of itself to me seems more like a natural progression of a technology. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider the, 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 the disc man or its ilk to be innovative. What I would consider innovative is one of the massive problems that those things had. And that was skipping. Mm-hmm. Oh, so right. You, the skip, skip protection. CD, so CDs, yeah, the CDs are red just like records are red, um, where, the medium is spinning and a, an eye is reading. Um, but if you jolt that, you know, you judder it in any way whatsoever, you'd, you'd, your data would be off. And what I thought was super innovative was when the company, when companies came out and they started buffering ahead of time, mm-hmm. they said, we, how do we f- do skip protection? How do we make it so the CD, it ignores when you, you know, bump it, shift it in yeah. any way? Because those early ones, really, if you breathed on them wrong, they yeah. would skip. Yeah. Uh, and then they st- they, someone created these buffers that they would incorporate into them. So it would read, you know, 10, 15, 20 seconds ahead. And 
if you if you uh, you know tapped it or whatever, as long as you didn't do twenty seconds worth of tapping, the music never stopped. And I have personal experience with this because I used to sell those things, and I was the best seller um, at good old Circuit City <laughs> with those things because I would explain to people why they needed to. Be- you know, pay the extra 30 bucks or whatever for this skip protection. And what I would do is I would pop a CD in this, in this thing. And then I had a, uh, a paper clip keeping the thing. So it, you could open the, the draw, you know, open the, what do you call it? The cover. Yeah. You could, you could open it and see the CD spinning in there. Um, usually if you opened it, it would shut the thing off, but I had it rigged so it wouldn't. I would open the thing and I would pull the disc out while it was playing through some speakers. And it was just mind-blowing. I'm like, look, you're not going to skip it as bad as I'm about to do it right now. I pop the disc out. Thing still plays the music. I pop the disc back in, and it never missed. Hmm. And so I think the innovation in that technology is it's those things where it's like, we've got a massive problem here where we can't use these things mobile. How, How do, do we make it, it so we can? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, I think uh, the, other, the other things I listed, I mean, I think the iPod the, was a natural progression too, but again, it sort of perfected the all the little details with it the iphone uh and the ipad were the progression of turning that mobile mp3 thing mushing it together with your phone but there was a a problem where you had two things and they made it one thing i think that's a pretty innovative thing when you take two things and you make one thing out of it especially if it's a pretty elegant solution the imac's the same thing where they turn like you would have a desktop uh like the standard pc that still exists today but you would have both of these things, they could put it all into one, one jobber, and it sits on your desk. It doesn't take up a lot of space, and you can get your, your stuff done on it. I like all those things. I think, I think at the time when they came out, they were fairly innovative. I just haven't seen a lot of innovation. I've seen a lot of incremental change since then. I don't know the year that, it's, that I would say it stopped. I'd say probably in the early 2000s is when... Early to yeah, probably the early two thousands when it stopped feeling like it was innovative and started feeling like it was just updates and incremental change to the same things. Um, but yeah, so I mean, do you mean do you you don't mean for the iPod and stuff? Well, I mean, right? I mean for, for all of it. I mean, I, I feel like the iPhone. You know, they put a new iPhone out on a pretty regimented schedule, and when they come out, they're not that much different than the one before, and they they may solve or create a new set of problems each time, but it's never anything, you know, groundbreaking that I see anymore. There's never like a new, new type of device that solves a problem that we didn't really see before. And that's what I would think of as innovative, uh, not just, look, we gave it a harder glass so it doesn't break as easily when you drop it. Yeah, there's an article on Inc.com, Inc.com, mm-hmm. um, and they specifically mentioned what they they were talking about the biggest steps in Apple innovation, um, and they were saying, you know, ever since they stopped being just Apple computers, uh, they they're they're considering 2007 with the iPod, or I'm sorry, um, the iPod in 2001, the iPod Nano in 2005, mm-hmm. the iPhone in 2007, the iPad in 2010. And then the watch in 2015. Yeah. And they say, for the most part, all of the other products were merely, quote, incrementally innovative until right. Apple released the Apple car, until Apple releases the Apple car, of course. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, I, would, I would agree with that. And they might be working. So that, that, that comes back to one of, the, one of the main points that I wanted to talk about on this. And that's that I think real innovation, uh, like real creation is rare. And I think it's really hard to come by. And, um, 
it takes it takes a special kind of connection being made. I mean, I I don't even know that spontaneous creation uh, of a new concept. I don't know that that's even a real thing anymore. Um, you know, everything's built on. You're talking the, about a pure invention. Yeah, I think that everything's sort of built on a scaffolding that's that's been created uh, by people in whatever field you know you're messing around in before you. But um, but it's super rare for real innovation, real creation to happen. And it's not just in tech, uh, and I'll shift it over a bit here. It's not just in technology that we see um, things that I don't necessarily consider innovations called innovations. Um, I see it in art and music a lot too. And um, I think the pop music throughout history is a series of, of incremental changes and that the the big paradigm shifts were were pretty rare and are becoming rarer and rarer uh, and will probably become m- more rare as we move forward. Um, and part of that, I think, is because I think a lot of times innovation comes from uh, s- s- trying to solve a problem or from two things that are not connected in any way being connected. And we saw a lot of that... Um, I thought the example here that I have uh, that I sent over to you, uh, blues music, I think was it was an innovation that is not likely. We're not likely to see too many more like that uh, ever. Maybe um, you know, blues was um, and gospel music came out of sort of a traditional African call and response uh, music that was forced through uh, slavery into a sort of European plantation life that was heavily repressed and um and it was sort of this new paradigm you had people from different cultures meeting and sort of exchanging ideas and something new was was born out of that um yeah and that you know i i don't think i i said rock and roll on here and um, you said you didn't think of rock and roll as, as that much of an innovation. And, and it really got me to think, because I think maybe you're right there, that blues and gospel turning into rock is not so different as I thought. I thought of it as, you know, coming coming maybe full circle around, or not necessarily full circle, but coming back into um, and merging with popular culture, blues music merging, blues and gospel merging with popular culture. But it didn't really fundamentally change that music that much. Um, but no, I, would, I think it, it's more of a, of a like I said, it was a, a nat, more like a natural progression. Yeah, and I, I, where I, I would say it's, that it's massive, and if you step back far enough, you do see these huge, uh, you know, spikes. If you if you want to consider innovation or grand changes to be, you know, the spikes in a in a long line. Yeah, I think there's definitely the spikes when you have blues and then rock and then metal. Uh, hip hop, rap, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but when you when you get in closer, I think those spikes, you know, they round off quite a bit more. Yeah. I think it's just just a natural evolution, a natural progression, and I I still think that the rock, the transition from straight blues to rock was way more about uh, incorporating the white culture into it when it when it when it was no longer you know, uh, what's the, what's the word for something, you know, when it was no longer stuck in, you know, 
bars and and small places right. in southern. When it had uh, a wider a wider areas. exposure. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The, the the wider exposure get you know once you've increased your data set, you've got way more you know way more uh, variations and stuff like that, and then those each start to take off on their own. Yeah. And yeah. obviously the rock explosion happened once I think Europe got involved. Yeah, Not and I th- the band Europe of course. <laughs> I but I think I think of uh, I think of hip hop as a as an innovative art form. Um and I think for a couple of reasons. One, I think it solved a problem uh that existed and the other is that it was significantly different than what came before it that it it stands on would, its own. I would completely agree. Yeah, I, I I I was watching the um, I haven't gotten all the way through it. The the get down on um, uh, was that on Netflix? I think. Yeah. And um, I was I, I was it's a little hard to take in because they do it in sort of a weird way for me. But I, I love that sort of history of hip hop because you really see it really did come out of New York and it came out of these people creating music from what Grand they had. Master Flash. Yeah, and they couldn't afford instruments, so they couldn't afford all this stuff, but you know, the rise of the DJ and the rise of the MC, really killer. Um, but I would say, exactly like you were saying, I think that the small changes are not, I don't know, I don't really consider them that innovative or ground-shifting. I mean, I, I, I see that you know, glam rock turning into alternative, I don't think of that as innovative. I think it's just a cultural response to style. And um, not a creation. So, and so the, the question about the question that I would have about that is, uh, and I'm completely ignorant in this because I was never a big fan of the grunge stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked Pearl Jam way more than I liked Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Please don't tell your wife or <laughs> remind your wife. Um, but it's is that because that music you know evolved and exploded out of that Seattle scene just at that time, or had that been going on for a while? And it was just noticed right around there because people were sick and tired of grown men in giant, you know, poofed up hairspray, <laughs> you know, Motley Crue looking. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think the answer is yes to both. I think that it was both. I think that there were there were always people who weren't into the glam part of glam rock, and they were probably playing a form of rock that was similar to what we would call grunge, which is sort of a mix of punk. Oh, see, that's what um, I, I was just about to say that. I, I've, I claim total ignorance on the punk stuff, too, because I've never, ever been a oh, fan or had any respect yeah. for punk music. Whew, I love and punk And I know music. that that's... I actually know, that's, think of punk music as being pretty innovative when it came along. It would be one of the things... It I, is. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you know, now looking back, now that I've had time to you know, research these things, but when I was, when I was growing up and when, when you're supposed to be influenced by these things... I found it to just be just noise, and I and I, it was yeah. crap. And I felt the same way about the grunge stuff. And grunge to me sounded like a, uh, you know, for lack of better understanding, a cleaner way of, and you know, a more refined, I guess, if you will, version of punk. Where punk was just to me just some jackasses making as much noise as they could on instruments. Grunge was basically the same thing, but at least they learned how to make chords now. Yeah, there was a bit That's of that. That's how I always knew it. There was a bit of that. I, I, I think that grunge was sort of a, specifically, was sort of a amalgam of a lot of different things. It was, it was, and, and, and a response to a lot of different things. Yeah. Which and, is part and, of why. No matter what, it, it needed to be the antithesis of, of the glam rock, right? The yeah, hair metal, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't think of it as super innovative, mainly because 
it was such a response to another form of art rather than trying to solve a problem of creating a, a style of art. Like all the, all the tools were there to do grunge that were there for glam rock. It was the same sort of electric guitars and drums and basses and keyboards. It was just used in a slightly different way and, a, and, a, and with an urge to be a little more authentic, um, which I, you know, I liked at the time. I, I was kind of into it. I, I love Nirvana. Uh, I love all that stuff. I, I think Kurt Cobain's uh, expression was incredibly unique and interesting, and it felt really new, but I don't think it was fundamentally that much different than the, you know, hard rock, whatever style you want to call it, that preceded. I think they were very much in the same same vein. And and the point of this is is not to say that, again, it's not to say that grunge or alternative or any of that was bad. Uh, I thought it was great or that it's it's less than. I don't think it's less than. I think it's awesome, but I don't think that it's innovative. And I think that we should celebrate innovations and and really celebrate them as a society because when as a society we celebrate something that is truly ground-shakingly innovative, we make other people want to do that. If our celebrities are the people who are actually innovative, I think that people will rise to that call. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody who wants to play music has to be completely innovative. I think that there's a, it's a perfectly amazing honorable honorable way to create music i don't think of myself as a super innovative musician in any way i'm not reinventing the wheel um i'm I'm not i'm just sort of talking through a unique experience but um if i had that moment of (laughs) of insight that maybe some of these people who've made these huge jumps have made i would like for people to be able to see it and when i see it in others i want to I want to raise it, raise high the roof beams. So uh, who, who do you see when you try and think of innovative musicians, mm-hmm. who do who do you think of? Who do you consider to in, be innovative? In sort of the modern world or just overall? I mean, let's call it in the last two centuries. Oh, okay. you That's a start talking wide. about Johann Sebastian and all that. Yeah. I mean, um, who would be really innovative? Well, I guess we could name the people, you know, Grandmaster Flash and those guys from hip hop, um, KRS One, those guys who started that. Because uh, the re- where I'm where I'm going, if I, you know, without leading the witness too much, yeah, is I think that there's a very, very, very fine line between innovative and influential. Well, and so when you make when you make a grand enough change, when you make a big enough change, not necessarily, uh, you know, big between two artists, mm-hmm. but big enough. That you were what you've done, however slight the change may be, is influential enough to completely change the game. For instance, the Beatles. Yeah, well, I, that that was one of the places I was going to go. There's two. Th- I'm sorry, two, I didn't mean to skip ahead. No, that's, that's quite, not on my note sheet. Yeah, no, but when you asked that question, uh, that's that's one of the first ones that popped. Two thing, two popped in my head. Um, Paul Simon and the Beatles are two acts that I think of as very innovative. I'll start with Paul Simon because the other one's a little longer. I think Paul Simon's innovation was that he would go to um, places in Africa. He would go down to South America and he would try to incorporate these uh, traditional music and musicians into 
a sort of popularized American culture and tried to do it in a very sort of honorable way. I don't think he was trying to appropriate their culture. I think he was trying to include their culture in, now, do you consider, in his voice. Do you consider any of his stuff with um, Garfunkel to be part of that innovation? No, not really. So it's all... I, I think his innovation came with Graceland, and I think it came with Rhythm of the Saints. And then I think it's sort of... That was the, the, the innovative part, was that concept of bringing that music into his process. Um, and the innovations with the Beatles, I don't think had much to do so much with the Beatles as they did with the production of the Beatles, which is where there was a, 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 a classical mind put to popularized rock songs. And it really created a new area of um, expression for people where where that didn't really exist before. You know, I think the Beatles as a whole, though, could be considered way more innovative than just the Beatles coming onto the scene. I yeah. mean, their transition, their evolution as a band influenced absolutely everything that has succeeded them. Yeah. Well, right? and, I, and mean, I, I think... I from think, the psychedelic to... Go ahead. No, I, well, I think that, I think that they, they did. I think that we, again, and I'm saying this here, I think that innovation is rare and is going to get more and more rare as we go along. Um, and I would like to see younger people. I don't, I hate to sound like I'm old. I'm, I'm not old, but I mean, I would like to see the youth really getting into innovative music and innovative things. So, uh, and, and I, there are worlds that I think are innovative that I'm not a part of. Um, I think with dance music, there's been a lot of innovation that went into the creation of modern dance music. Um, and there were a lot of artists who did really cool, innovative things there. And I'm not educated enough to speak on those people. Um, my, my experience in that world was with Moby um, there were some other bands in there, but uh, people who I really sort of changed the way I looked at how music could be made electronically. Um, but with all these, with all of these people that we're looking at, with all of the the common thread, with all of these, is that it seems like a lot of them are not super modern. Um, they're all sort of a generation or two. Um, away from, from you and I even, right? So the Beatles were our parents' music. Um, and probably a lot of the people listening to this, it was their grandparents' music. Has something come along in rock that's been that innovative since the Beatles? I mean, could Michael you Michael Jackson? Does that count? Maybe. I don't know that Michael Jackson was super innovative. I think he was an Bowie? amazing performer. I think he was uh, an amazing singer. But yeah, I see, I'd, I would consider him easily as innovative as as the Beatles really? by using the same definitions that the Beatles had. Yeah, I, 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 I would say with mine that I think the Beatles get a lot of credit for uh, Sir Martin's uh, work in the production. And I think Michael Jackson probably gets a lot of credit for the production work that went into his his music. But I don't know. I wasn't there when those records were made. Maybe he was, you know. Yeah. And then, of course, there's people that, you know, the the, the detractors would say that he... He was, you know, doing nothing but, uh, what, what's it, uh, James Brown impressions, basically. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, a lot I, of the, 
the antics and stuff? Or? Yeah, well, I think of James Brown as probably one of the innovators of of funk music too. Uh, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, it's hard to say who is what, and that's part of this too. You know, I think that there are clear. I think that we do ourselves a disservice by comparing things that aren't as epic as... Yeah, we all need uh, to understand that these things are completely subjective. And right. it's very difficult to label things as innovative when it comes to music, unless you can, Point like I was it. saying earlier, step back far enough yeah. and see the spikes. Right. I, I think I think that's a good call. I don't think you can really call something that innovative until you see it affect the culture around it. Yeah. Um, unless you hear something that is so, and th- this is the other side, where it's so different. Uh, here's a, here's one I think of Kid A by Radiohead. The first time I heard Kid A, I was like, I don't know what the hell this is. The second time I heard, I, I listened to it back to back. Second time I listened to it, I went, these guys are doing something amazing here. They're doing something that I haven't heard before. And they're doing it in a way that works really, really well. That I think of, uh, I, I think Radiohead has been an innovative act in the music industry. Um, and I, I, but I see them get maligned a lot too. I think a lot of people, while they have a ton of fans, I think a lot of people think of them as weirdos or, or not, not being cool because they are a little weird and they are doing something that's a bit different, a bit outside the norm. Um, yeah, you, you know, would probably put, um, you know, Nine Inch Nails. Or Res, just Reznor himself, really, up there, right? You'd, you'd have to yeah. put him above Radiohead, wouldn't you? No, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he did a lot of cool stuff. He brought that electronica to the um, sort of hard rock metal feel. Yeah, he did a lot of really cool stuff. I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I I don't know where the line where the line is. But I would say this, the first time I heard Nine Inch Nails, I'd never heard anything like Nine Inch Nails before. <laughs> so probably you're right. Um, and I mean, he to go from what he started, you know, doing that Nine Inch Nails stuff to becoming the, you know, the, the head scorer on actual massive films. He did, you know, Social Network and Gone Girl and... Yeah, I think of, I think of personal evolution as not necessarily being innovation. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. I'm yeah. just saying... It, to, for for someone to come out as just you know people oh, you yeah. know chalk chalk them up as just here is just another you know noisy musician yeah no, they're so he, brilliant he was, in their yeah I think work. a lot of people were turned off by his image and his imagery that he used I think a lot of people it got sort of short shrift because yeah, it's kind of hard to sell yourself to the mainstream when you're basically uh, offering your services as if you were an animal <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I, 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 yeah, but I, I, I gotta say that I think that people like Trent Reznor are rare, but I think people that try to be like a Trent Reznor are a dime a dozen. Here's one for you. I just yeah. thought of this. You're yeah. gonna, you, you probably saw this coming a mile away. But if you're talking innovation mm-hmm. and entertainment and music specifically, I think Lin Manuel Miranda, what he has done with Hamilton, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, I, I think he is without a doubt a genius. Um, and I am not at all alone in that little field. I'm not going out on any limbs there. Um, but he has completely changed the game for Broadway. And you, you mean by com- combining hip hop and Broadway, or combining yeah, hip hop and history in, and Broadway? He has. I would say that his what he's done is the most innovative thing to happen to Broadway. 
in, in in so far, so long that I don't have the knowledge of Broadway to know when the last time something like that happened in Broadway. He yeah. has changed the game across the board. Well, that, that that actually that brings up a good question. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play the other side of this just for a second. Is changing everything is ev- changing everything in Broadway? Is that a wide enough change to call? It? Yeah, I guess it would be. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it's, specific genre. If it's you're a changing- genre of music or genre of entertainment in the same vein that movies, books, poetry. Well, was was the Who was the Who innovative when they put out Tommy? Tommy, yeah. Um, the rock opera, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I, would I think have at the to time they weren't actual- the first. I think there were other people like Jesus Christ Superstar and some other things were around. Yeah, the same I mean. Time. Th- yeah, you're not going to really compete with uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, but it's the, what what Lynn did with that musical has changed the game more than just hey, we we're playing. You know, because most people think that it's just a hip hop musical. It, you can't say it's innovative if all yay he's rapping and he's actually on Broadway. Whoop de doo. What he's done is he's taken what was in a, a, such a laughable premise by the entirety of anyone that he ever told. Uh, you know, take he's going to make a musical out of someone that the only reason you know about him is because he was killed in a duel, and he's going to wrap it around a mix of genres, and you're not only going to enjoy it, you're going to love it, and you're going to, you know, everybody's going to love it, and everybody's going to want everything to do with it, and it's not going to sound like any other thing that's ever been here on Broadway. Yeah, and nothing has been like the the closest thing to it was the thing he did before that, but even that didn't have any kind of legs. Um, and he, like I said, he changed the game so much that uh, all of all of the Broadway producers and and the people that are that are in that industry they're trying to figure out how to continue that kind of stuff. Not necessarily how do we how do we uh, you know, do more rap? It's not about the rap so much. It's not about the hip-hop. And, and that, that musical isn't just rap and hip-hop, but what they're doing is they're saying, this guy has transcended the musicals, and the closest thing that they had before that was with Wicked. Um, and that was because they were using a subject that everybody knew. You know, Everybody knows... Uh, Christ, now my brain just shut off. Um, Oh God, that's embarrassing. You're talking about the the play, the Dorothy musical Wicked, the, the Wizard of yeah. Oz, the Wizard of Oz. Yes, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. Every, you you start with that premise. Everybody knows, and it, it's it's much easier for that to to transcend just the Broadway medium the way that Wicked did. Well, what but about this? Has gone. Go, go ahead. ahead. What about what about American Idiot from Green Day? So they're kind of crossing punk and Broadway. Yeah, I but mean, that's just that that's just. I, I, I've never seen it, and I, I have no opinion on it uh, mm-hmm. either way. I, I totally respect uh, Green Day. I think Billy's awesome. So um, I'm sure that that show is great, uh, but that show is just another show. Mm-hmm. It's just another great show. I don't want to take anything away from it at all, but it's just another great show. I don't <laughs> think that it's any different, uh, especially in terms of music, um, than anything that has preceded it in that genre, in that rock kind of, I mean, hell, Rent had that kind of rock feel to it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, I'm so far removed from that world that I don't know enough to speak on it. Um, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm barely 
in the in the world enough yeah. to speak on it. Well, I, I listened I listened to the Hamilton and uh, to the Hamilton soundtrack, and I liked it. It didn't it didn't strike me as crazily innovative, but again, I I don't have a lot of stuff to compare it to. I've probably been to maybe five or six musicals in my life. And I think it's one of those things I I'm still, you know, the, we definitely don't need to dive into that, yeah. but I, I think, I, I just don't think you were in the right headspace when you were listening to it because just from a music, not musical, but from a music standpoint alone, especially the, the, the skills and the talents that you have with wordsmithing and, and hip hop and rap and, you know, that kind of the wordplay, all of that stuff, the things the layers. I mean, I, I have no lie listened to that thing at least once a day for six months straight. And it is the layers that are in there. That's what makes him a genius. He, there are references. There are inside references. There are, I mean, there's these things I'm learning. I think it's amazing that I, I can learn these things. I don't know the correct terms, but there's these hip hop uh, and rap um special tricks and stuff that, yeah. that that's done in hip hop where yeah. you can say one line that's, you know, like eight words, yep. but within there, you've got a rhyming scheme. That's not only that's rhyming exactly. with itself, yeah. they're called rhyme schemes. but it's referencing itself. And then it references a line that's later, but it wraps up, you know, this, all this intricate shit. Yeah. It's, it's notorious. It's notorious long. B.I.G. was amazing at that stuff. There are a lot of great rappers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, my, I think. I think without without this turning into the Hamilton podcast, <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would say though that like real innovation is super rare. So so exactly. Uh, if, if we if we say Hamilton is is a game changer and it's innovative, then I, I can't think of one that that did that before that. I can think of things that were popular, but I don't think I don't hear too many where it's like this changes the game. But I hear people saying that stuff all the time. I hear people. Um, calling yeah, we, people we who are celebrities a- geniuses, and I don't see it as genius. I see it as they're good at what they're doing. Uh, they're good at their job, but are they are they uh, you know bringing something to light that has never been brought to light before? Because if they're not, I don't see that as innovation, and I don't see it as genius. Uh, you know, I, I think, and I think that culturally we have a different set of problems you know, now than we've had in the past I, and that solving a big problem is, is kind of where innovation comes from. You know, I, I, I put down on here, I said, you know, we got it right with Einstein, uh, but I think it's because he comes from a generation that had these major problems and there were people who were doing big work with big ideas, trying to solve those. And even today we see quotes from Einstein all the time that have nothing to do with what he did. He worked in a pretty esoteric field. He was in, he was, you know, working in physics and in stuff that was pretty difficult for the regular Joe to just pick up quickly if they were talking about it. But he was glorified in society as, as an innovative genius. I think they got it right when they, you know, say, people say, well, Einstein, you're saying Einstein is a genius. No, duh. If Einstein is the criteria you have for genius, then you, there aren't any other geniuses. There might be one or two. I think that's right. I think there might be only one or two. <laughs> yeah, think, we shouldn't be afraid to admit that this is such a rarity that it needs to be held up. It, and it should be held up in the highest, is my point. And, and I'll, I'll get to why I, I think that. But I think yeah, that, not based on Twitter followers, right? It's not. It's genius is not about popularity. Genius is not about 
um, opinion. Genius is about someone solving problems and coming up with new connections that have not been made before. Um, and not small little connections, big, big jumps. You know, the, the idea of how gravity works being something completely different than everyone else had said before. That's a giant jump. Um, coming up with uh, calculus because you want to solve problems and there isn't a type of math that exists yeah, that allows you a math. to solve problems. That's genius. That is innovation. That's, that's huge. And that should be our benchmark as a society, I think. I think those should be the benchmark, not popularity. Because I think that we have this huge, untapped mental resource. I think people are way smarter than we give them credit for. And I don't care what people say after the election. I think most people are way smarter than we give them credit for. But I think that they aren't using all of what they got. And a big part of the reason they're not using all of what they have is because... They're being desensitized they're, by so much Not just desensitized. They're not... They're, they're, the rubric by which they judge themselves is too low. It's okay to not to do this because, you know, it's not that far away from what people consider genius. I'm pretty close, you know, <laughs> that, that I'm pretty close, a close enough thing. I think it kills us. And I think it also makes it bad if we put the, the bar too high where people can't get there. But I think we should raise the bar from where it is. Now, I mean, I think, I think of people who, like that who exist today. I think of Elon Musk as a prime example. I see him as a guy who's trying to solve big problems uh, and has very large-scale solutions, and he aims incredibly high. The dude wants to go to Mars. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's like, how do we do it? All right, let's start doing the thing that gets us to Mars. That guy should be, he should be the most popular person in the country, in my eyes, I think that's what we should glorify. We should hold them up. We should say, look, young, young uh, men and women, young children growing up, this is what you should strive for. Well, I how about this? Yeah. How about, um, is it possible that a lot of the, the reasons that society doesn't hold these people to the standards that, that they should be or, or held them in, in the regard that they should be is because a lot of the innovations that, you know, as you've said, innovations are, are needed in, in a society. You should always be striving to innovate and to, to better yourself and better society as a whole. A lot of the innovations that are needed or most needed uh, today have become completely politicized. Yeah. And I think Elon Musk and, and Tesla, they've be, the, the company has – it's well-regarded and well-respected, especially in the technology communities – um, but generally speaking, maybe not as much as it could be because what he's doing is going against companies that are so ingrained in society that, that their influence is, is far-reaching yet almost invisible at times. Yeah, I would agree so with if that. He, if, if your innovation is to eliminate the need for fossil fuels, yet 90% of society requires fossil fuels and 90% of that is making their money off of fossil fuels – They'll do what they can to keep you from, you know, being the rock star that you deserve to be. I think so. And I think it's also that we are, we have been trained to become accustomed to incremental change and consider it 
good. Consider it enough. Yeah. It's, it's all about appeasing. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I think that same for societal, not just technology, not just, oh, you know, the new iPhone comes out and, oh, the screen's a little bit bigger or, oh, it's got a little more memory. It's not that. I mean, societal changes. Okay, we understand that, um, you know, racism is a problem. What is a big answer solution to start fixing it? We're willing to take small incremental changes rather than rip the Band-Aid off and try to fix something. And we won't rip the Band-Aid and fix it because it's hard and it's not easy and it hurts and we might have to come to some, uh, admit some things that we don't really want to admit to or whatever that stuff is. We're okay with incremental change because it's part of our society and it's part of what we are used to. I, I would like to see us aim higher than that for things. I'd like for us to be able to say, right, this is illegal. <laughs> or, or as a society, we will not in any way tolerate this backwards sort of thinking. And if you, if you are stuck in that, you will be left behind by society. See, you're, 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 you're touching on subjects that I, I would love to talk about I don't know if you want to, <laughs> to dive into that a and b spend any more time yeah. I don't know how long you want the podcast to go but yeah. I think you, you're absolutely right and if I can summarize my my thoughts I would say that the problem is it boils down to what I call courage of convictions mm-hmm. and as a society this I think I I wish I had the the time my own time to like dive into it and and flesh out my thoughts but. I think it 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 it's so much more far-reaching than even just these hot-button political items, where you know take uh, people are always complaining that companies like Walmart come in and they're you know they're taking the the mom and pop shops away, which is a bad thing uh, if they really are. I, I you know you got to look into the numbers and stuff like that. But if if a company comes in and undercuts and undersells everything and they've just just destroyed your mom and pop business the only th- way to fix that is to to have enough people that agree with you that won't shop at that place but you can't find people that'll do that because in the end people are like well you know what i am saving like 50 bucks a week yeah because no matter how strongly people feel about certain things they don't have the courage of their conviction they don't have the courage to follow through. They don't have what it takes to cut off, you know, to, to cut the, Head of the necrotic snake. tissue away. Yeah. Yeah, They'd I, rather have this wounded hand that is useless, that's, you know, completely charred and dead because they can still say they've got a hand instead of cutting it off and moving on. I agree with you. I think that that's another part of the same thing. I think that, I think that this is a, I don't think this is just because of acceptance of incremental change. But I think that the the acceptance of incremental change is a symptom of the same disease you're talking about. Yeah, well, what I'm saying, the acceptance acceptance of the incremental change is that how do you influence a company to stop giving you these BS incremental changes? The only way to influence them to do that is to stop giving them money. Yeah. And there is absolutely no way... No matter how many people agree that the iPhone 7, the iPhone 7S, the iPhone 8, the, you know, these yearly incremental changes that amount to almost nothing are the only way to convince them that that's no longer acceptable, they're not going to do it because everybody's like, well, you know what? I do need a new phone. Well, 
They're not, but I think that they would if we demanded innovation from our from our technology. But the only way we can demand it oh, is yeah, with I agree. our wallets. I agree. Well, it sucks. Well, <laughs> I don't I, know how to fix it. I wish I knew how to fix it. I I think that um, I think that you're right. I, I don't know. I don't know how to fix it either. I I don't really know how to clearly identify it, <laughs> which is what probably people yeah. are picking up it, from this it, podcast. Well, it's going to take. It's going to take a lot more than an hour podcast to go over that. Yeah, but I think that people should be talking about it. I think that people yeah. should be looking at what what is and what isn't innovative. And the things that are innovative, I think we should really push those out to the front. I know that that's the way I would like to do it. And um, I think that I think that we should glorify the people who really do innovate and really do try to push society forward um, rather than just people who are good at becoming and staying popular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Respecting true genius, not just assigning respect to whoever has the most friends at the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, And like I said, None of this is to say modern music or the tech is bad. It's not to overly romanticize a past. You know, the past was full of a bunch of problems too. Uh, Here's how I, I think about it. You know, we spend all of our adolescent lives racing to get out of, quote, you know, the high school mentality of things. Once you leave high school, now you're in the real world. You're in college or you're in your job and you're no longer doing any of that, the high school BS, the middle school BS, you know, just the popularity contests and the, the clicks and all that. Mm -hmm. But now we've got Facebook, which does nothing but bring, <laughs> bring it back. that mentality right back. Uh -huh. And now we're adults with that mentality. So now we have the, the, the power, the influence, the finances to take, you know, imagine someone with our, you know, st status in life at 15 and 16. When yeah. you're acting like a high schooler, but you've got, a job, a family, income, it, you know, you just, you become part of this poison that's, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I just think that that feeds the whole, like you're, you're getting at the Instagram and the, and the popularity contests versus who's, who's a genius, who's, who's actually important versus who's an entertainer that, you know, eh. Well, I see, I have, a, I, I agree with you. I have a hard time with social media myself. I have, um, I have managers and a team of people who want me to be much more engaged on social media, but I feel like I don't have enough stuff to say that is super meaningful. And if I'm not saying something that means something, I don't really want to just jabber away for social media's sake. Although yeah. I probably and, and should. Not, and you're not buckling to the pressure right now well, to do that kind of well, stuff, I'm, right? I'm, I'm trying to be better about it. I just... Um, well, what yeah. I'm getting at is that's because you have the courage of your convictions. Well, maybe, yeah, or maybe I'm just I'm just not good at. It. I mean, I, saying I'm not good at it isn't the best way to put it. But I, you know, I want to put I want to put love and and in the world. I want to put good good stuff out there, and I'm willing to wait to have something good before I put it out. And sometimes that. Just like innovation, inspiration, inspiration sometimes is is rare, and and not just inspiration. Although I, I've been writing and doing a lot of really cool stuff, sometimes it just takes a long time to get that stuff out into the world in a in a nice, clean, understandable way. 
And sometimes you have things like this, like, what does innovation mean? What do it be being? I don't know. I, if I don't know. <laughs> what do it be? Yeah, what do it be? I don't know. Um, but I'd like to so, talk about it. So, yeah. Let me run through a list here of, I, I found some some things when I was doing research. Go ahead. Some of these, the greatest product innovations of the modern age. Mm-hmm. Let's let's run through these real quick. A couple of these and see 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 if you agree that they're innovative. Mm-hmm. Um, smartphones. Yeah. So we're not going to attribute these to to specific companies cool. right. for the most part. Yep. So I smartphones think... in general. That's that's innovative, right? Change change the game. Literally change the game. Change the world. Yeah. Um, this here advanced eye protection. I was surprised when I saw that this was on the list, but I'm reading it because there, there it says here, and I'll quote: uh, Through most of the 20th century, sunglasses merely dimmed down light, mm-hmm. helping wearers see better. In bright environments, um, but with the advent of polarization first, then the UVA UVB blocking shades became an essential protective aid as much as they were vision boosters. Um, and they give an example of Oakley's tin can sunglasses. Were people like dying of eye cancer before, or well, I think it's going it's, a, blind? it's all you know macular degeneration. It's uh, light sensitivity issues. There's all sorts of things that people really didn't realize were going on. Mm-hmm. And now we've got these awesome sunglasses that are are cheap to produce. You don't have to buy the two hundred dollar Oakleys. Well, somebody else but, I'm sure knows knows more about this than I do, but I would say that that uh, sunglasses cost way too much for what they do. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, and I'm on the other end of that. I I, I own very expensive sunglasses, and yeah. I've seen them to be way better in the whole quality environment. You know, quality yeah. department. Uh, but yeah, there, there's. There shouldn't really be a $300 difference between them. Yeah. Okay, um, so so sunglasses? Book readers, electronic book readers. Hmm, okay. Like the Kindle? Okay. I, yeah, I, 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 think that's, I think that's fair enough. It's The e-ink technology specifically? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, um, yeah, okay, I'll give them that one. I think that's pretty innovative. What about water and dirt-resistant fabrics? Hmm. For clothing and um, you know, know carpeting and upholstery, I guess so. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> that I don't one's know. Tough. Yeah, I don't know much. About, I'm not in that world either. I, How about my clothes, GPS? Still, my clothes still get dirty. Uh, yes, GPS. I would say is a huge innovation. Yep. Um, and action cameras, taking the taking so, taking the big ass shoulder mounted things and turning them into the uh, GoPros. I don't know on that one. I mean, it's cool. Uh, it definitely was a cool change, but cameras have existed long before that. Small cam, you know, cameras getting smaller and smaller. I think that's probably a product of a lot of incremental change. Before one day we look at it and go, yeah. "Oh, this camera's think, tiny, and we can make it waterproof." I think this touches on a little bit of what we were speaking of earlier with how innovation is defined. It's not necessarily just you know changes to something that changed the game, so to speak, right. but. It's it's also about a company's ability to make it make you think or make you make you realize that you need it right. or that this is great this is game changing because yeah. I mean this guy uh, this guy says um, quote their hero cameras aren't aesthetically gorgeous nor are they particularly easy to use but the company did such an excellent job of showing people how to use them and what you can do with them that even the name hero evokes this idea that if you use their cameras you're a hero it's just brilliant. Yeah, I guess it's I guess it's good marketing. It's a marketing, but thing, I, yeah. I would I know I was shooting footage of me and my friends skateboarding with and an, a handy cam, you know, yeah. when I was in when I was in high school. So VHSC, 
Yeah, the little and the little was that the eight high high eight what was that called the little, little high eight cartridges? Yeah, or super eight, super eight. That's what it was. That's yeah. what I was trying to get out. Yeah. So here you go. Here's one that, that touches home for you. Okay. Ultralight foam shoe footbeds. <laughs> Come on. What? <laughs> the, the, you know, in running shoes. Okay. I don't. I mean, I don't care. I don't care I'm about. Just reading this. Yeah. No. No. I like it. I just. I don't care about ultralight shoes. Like, in fact, maybe it's bad for us. I've heard a lot of people say that it's bad for us to have that much be, yeah. cushioning. Yeah. Smart thermostats are up there. Uh, Wrist-mounted <laughs> heart rate monitors. Um, uh, maybe, uh, maybe the heart rate. I don't know. I, I mean, in the medical field, uh, they're not talking about it in the medical field, but I think like no, they're talking about the the, the like the watch. Yeah. I mean, and the it, I, and stuff I've got like that. I've got one. I got the little Fitbit watch I wear, and it keeps track of my heart rate. And I really don't give a shit. I mean, I, I don't ever pay attention to it. But, so they also have digital music players on here, which we already talked about. But then yeah. the last thing I'll talk about, hybrid cars. Okay, yeah. I think that's innovative. The Innovation hybrid car. Right there. Yeah. I mean, without attributing, I don't know who to attribute it to, but I think that the idea of, of conserving uh, fossil fuel uh, and trying to move move off of that is, is yeah, definitely at least, at least moving forward to it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it, it goes, I think all of these go to the thing where it says, is there a problem and is it solving it? Now, the, the ones I laugh at are the ones that, that I don't think we're a big enough problem to merit calling it a major yeah. innovation. There are minor innovations probably. You know, the guy who decided to, um, you know, wrap a cable in this specific type of plastic versus the other because of its shielding properties and that's pretty innovative probably, but it's a small scale problem. And I think that the, the we should save these Big, big sounding words for big sounding words like innovative. Yeah, uh, maybe there the should be another couple, word other than innovative. Sorry, go ahead. The last couple of things, not to completely take over your your podcast. Um, the last couple of things, uh, music. Since you're the music guy, yeah. Just a couple of things off of a list that were the most innovations. Yeah, go for it. Game changing innovations in music, um, sampling and looping. Yep, I'd say that's probably pretty innovative. It, it's um, oh, it's completely saturated and overused i think now but yeah I but think especially that, like we were talking about hip-hop earlier that was it's key yeah it's, yeah um the other one they they mentioned auto-tune here Pooh. shares auto-tune I, yeah you know, the I, antares plug-in i don't know i don't know if that's innovative maybe maybe it is i mean it solves the problems of people not being able to sing yeah um, i mean it's it's also the progression from the vocoder right yeah, well, that share effect is actually not the way Antares was meant to be used. It was that's an effect that was done by. Well, yeah, it's just by tweaking one of the knobs. Yeah, but you, they did it in a way that was was not intended. Antares never intended to sound like. They never. Well, here's the thing, Corey. Do you know where the Antares was invented? What it was used for? No. It was, if, if I'm, I hope I'm not mistaken here, being an idiot, but no, uh, I believe it was invented for sonar. It was, um, huh. it was something oceanic, some oceanic investigation stuff. Yeah. I mean, the invention itself is pretty innovative. How it was used, I would say, is probably not very innovative. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then the last thing, uh, this one, I don't think you'll have any disagreement with Les Paul's multi track recorder. Oh, yeah. I mean, that changed it. That's it right there. That is music, right? 
Well, modern. At yeah. least how we know it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it brought in, I didn't know Les Paul invented the multi-track recorder. I just learned something. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that, that, that changed the way that we make music. You know, I, I, did, the, uh, I did the With or Without album live in the studio because I wanted to see if I could make a record in that old way where you don't go and, and track it. You do everything just live, everybody in the room at the same time. Because I think that's a lost art. Um, and that goes and speaks volumes for how ubiquitous multi-track recording is, you know, uh, overdubbing recording is because it's the, it's the rarity for people to actually perform their music for a record now. Uh, the, the common one is, is to create it piece by piece. Um, so yeah, super innovative for them to come yeah, up with apparently a way to do multi-tracks. In 53, he went to San Francisco tech firm called Ampex, mm-hmm. pitched the idea of a multi-track recorder. Uh, the idea was a game changer. By 55, Snyder and his team produced an eight-track tape recorder, the Cell Sync machine that they nicknamed the Octopus. Uh-huh. Sold its ball for 10 grand. Wow. So what was that, 53, 55? So before the 50s, there was no multi-track recording, huh? That's what it says here in this article. That's crazy. Man. Well, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, you know, I wonder if people in 1965 recording a record on multi-track, like if there were a little bit older musicians, like, look at these kids tracking. <laughs> yeah. Bunch of amateurs. We had to freaking nail it. We had to nail it or the guy would staple our chest I don't know what that means, staple our chest. I was thinking staple our instruments to our chest so we would keep playing. Weird. Anyway, yeah, I, I think that there's, I mean, that's, the, the innovation list is has got to be a tough thing to make, too. You were asking me for who are innovative musicians before, you know, we got the Beatles and uh, I said Paul Simon. I, I think, and, and you know, the, some of the hip-hop guys that, that started out, I, I think that it's hard to make that list because it is rare. I think that's my main point, that real innovation doesn't happen very often. And it's amazing when it does. And I don't actually know... So so tell me what you think on this. So I don't know that innovation is something that you can maybe aim for. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. I'd have to talk to somebody who I would think of as a very innovative person and ask them, do you aim to be innovative or does it just sort of happen? Uh, what, what do you think? Do you think that... Mike- my guess is that that it that it happens. I, I think everybody aims to to make a difference. Mm-hmm. How big it, it it seems that we're we're agreeing that how big the difference is is really where the innovation gets defined. Yeah, um, especially if you take the marketing part of it out. Mm-hmm. So I think everybody aims to make a big difference. And when someone says, "Hey, I need you to," I've got all these songs. You know, somebody invented this thing called an MP3. I need uh, I need a way to use these other than my computer. Mm-hmm. And somebody comes along and says, "Here, I created this flash file and you know all this stuff, and now it's mobile." Is that the innovation of the you know the mobile audio units that we now know as iPods and iPhones and right. whatever other surviving? Well, that's that's to the thing digital of, music players. That's to the thing of who gets credit for it, and uh, you know. So who deserves more credit there? Is it the, the inventor of the MP3? Or is it companies like Apple that came along and said, hey, we can take all that and we can put it in a little box. Um, Change the game. Yeah, I don't they think didn't we, actually innovate so much as they came up with, or they refined a concept of something and sold the it. hell out of it. Yeah, I, I, 
I think you, I think societally we're going to go with whoever got it the loudest. Yeah, because they definitely weren't, and they never claimed to be. They weren't the first, you know, MP3 mobile player. MP3 player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they nailed it. They really did nail it. I was saying uh, the other day, I found my my iPod from two thousand five, sixty gig, fifth generation iPod. Found a plug for it. Battery charged up, and it fired up right away, and was running, and had you know all that music on it. It's pretty amazing. Um, considering that it's hard to keep a laptop for more than three years now. <laughs> yeah, so off my list here, the first MP3 player was developed in 97. It was the Iger Labs F10, mm-hmm. which was a 32 meg portable. <whistles> now, think about 32 meg. That's uh, it's less yeah, than wow. 10 songs. <laughs> this podcast is going to be bigger than that. Yeah. Uh, the next thing was the Rio PMP300. The Pimp 300, baby, <laughs> from Diamond Multimedia. That was in 98. Um, and then there was some Sony things coming along. The MPEG and Rio car. Yeah, I think I think I, I think I got involved. The first time I really got involved with the MP3 player was, it was before the Zune. It was, um, I wish I could remember the name of that thing. I knew somebody that had a Rio and... I was very, very, very envious. Yeah, I can't remember the the one. I, I had one that was like a... Uh, the Creative Labs Nomad? I think it might have been the Creative Labs Nomad. I worked... <laughs> you remember this. I worked at this place called Comstore, but I was a picker. And they had the first uh, digital camera I'd ever seen. They had it there, and it worked off of three and a quarter inch... Or three and a half inch floppy disks. And um, they had a they had an MP3 player there that I got. I can't remember the name of it. Might have been the Creative Labs one, but the there was nothing like the iPod that worked as well as the iPod when it came out. Yeah, and um, so yeah, they get the credit. And, and it, you know, if that had been the one thing that they had brought to the table, I don't think people would have considered Apple as this big innovative company. But I think that they continually put out for a period of time um, things that were very different. And that solved problems in sort of a unique way. Items that put out uh, that solved problems in sort of a unique way, or at least look prettier doing it. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, everybody thought the iPad was silly when it came out. I thought the iPad was silly when it came out. Well, remember, we thought the iPhone was silly when it came out. We thought our HTCs were the best things in the world. Yeah, they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't. But you know, the iPhone wasn't the first. Again, wasn't the first you know, mobile PDA mixed with a... Yeah, not even close to being the phone. But they nailed it. Um, But, and then on the other end of that argument, though, look at the home screen from the very first iPad, I mean, from the very first iPhone, and look at your home screen now. It's the same. Yeah. It's got the same button in the same place. The All the icons look basically the same. Yeah, the colors have changed. The screen is, you know, exponentially more you know crisp and clear and brighter but it's really just polishing the same stone over and over again yeah you know i think we i think that's another part is we expect we expect innovation we expect these big new things to come out and there and it doesn't happen that often that, and once that, you're once you've been disappointed so many times you start to get numb to it yeah yeah that's innovation uh-huh let's get right. another one yeah. Well, um, I would like for these companies to 
to strive for it. I would like for musicians uh, to strive to, to, to make new connections that they haven't before. Other, other arts, I'd like, I'd like to see the arts and humanity as a whole striving for innovation, striving for answers to the big questions. And then the people who come up with good answers, I'd like to see them pushed to the top. I'd like to see them doing better than they are. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, we talked briefly before we started and he came up, uh, and he had something that he said before the election that I loved. He said, there should be a none of the above option. And the none of the above option should mean that the previous two people who ran or whoever was on the ticket, if there's more than two, but really there's only two, um, they can't run again. We need to get different people. We got to start over because nobody likes, you know, if that one wins. <laughs> Nobody none likes of the above choices. is actually a candidate. Right. None of the above that means, means to start over. I think that's a great solution. When you have a, yeah, a situation absolutely. like we just ran into where we're like, look, I don't like either one of these people. What do I do? Uh, you're forced to vote for maybe what you think of as the lesser of two evils or you're, you're voting because you're voting against something. That's not how, that's not good. What's a cool, innovative way to get rid of that? Let's, uh, let's make none of, the, none above of the above as an option. Right, and if Is that we the new if, title of your of the podcast, none of the above. <laughs> yeah, but if if that was if if we if we really sought out innovation as a culture and embraced it, and we saw something like that and saw what a good idea it could be, we would implement it quickly. We wouldn't be, you know, into this tiny little incremental change that we have. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't solve it. Maybe we're just talking. I'm all right with that too. <laughs> yeah. And just real quick before you close out, just because uh-huh. my OCD won't allow it, and I'm sure your listeners are just dying to know, mm-hmm. AutoTune was initially created by Andy Hildebrand, an engineer working for Exxon. Hildebrand developed methods for inter- interpreting seismic data and subsequently realized that the technology could be used to detect, analyze, and modify the pitch in audio files. Huh. So there you go. It's an oil company. Freaking Exxon. I knew I didn't like AutoTune. Yep. <laughs> There's a reason. I knew it in my core. I couldn't I knew, stand I knew it. Deep down inside, it come from the devil. Well, Shorty. good on you. What was it, Hildebrand? What was the name? Andy, yeah. Hilde- Andy, Andy Hildebrand. Hildebrand. Andy Hildebrand. Hats off to you, you innovative bastard. I hope that. Uh, hope Cher paid you. Well, I hope that more. I hope there's more people like you working in alternative industries. I think they are. I think there's a lot of great stuff happening out there. I'd just like to see it. I want to see it all. I want to learn it. Um, anyway, Sean, thanks for talking to me uh, from the other side of the country. I'm keeping you up late. It's probably Tom, thanks for having me. Probably midnight where you are, but love you, man. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Maybe uh, you can reach Sean. Sean, what's your uh, Twitter handle? Uh, nerd underscore church. Nerd underscore church on Twitter. I'm uh, at Tom Rhodes Music. If you if you want to, maybe we can ask for people to send out who they think are the the innovators today. And uh, yeah, let us know what we got wrong or what we're missing. Yeah, let me know because I'd li- I'd like this conversation to be open ended. Um, and you can find and none of the above is an acceptable answer. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's right. Neil nailed it. Um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash 
Tom Rhodes fan page. Um, do you want to give out anything else, Sean? No, I'm good. All right. If you if you want to plug, you can TomRhodesMusic.com. Oh, that's me. You don't have to plug me. All right, <laughs> oh, man. My bad. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Adios. Bye.